Well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, here we are, round 19. Certainly plenty of very interesting action in round 18, which we'll get to in a minute, but we'll just start with a quick origin recap. And New South Wales didn't get the clean sweep that they wanted with the third game up in Queensland. Queensland got the nod 20 to 18. Obviously, the big talking, or in, I guess the one big talking point was that attempted goal from Latrell Mitchell that was 50, 55 metres out. Everyone was saying, why would you go for that? And I guess to be fair, you'd probably rather see New South Wales go on the attack in that instance rather than try a, 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 an almost impossible penalty goal. Yeah, I think for sure. And I think, you know, we'd already had the Series 1, so there wasn't really anything to lose per se. So to go for the goal simply to tie it up, it wasn't even to win the game, um, was just a bit of an odd decision, which obviously backfired. Um, but, you know, I guess the attack wasn't exactly flowing for New South Wales that night. Perhaps they weren't confident that they'd be able to score a try, so they thought, you know, um, sending it to Golden Point would have been the best option. But obviously now we can look back on it and say that wasn't the case. Yeah, so I actually didn't mind the call. I think that judging on what we saw from the rest of the evening, New South Wales attack, as you mentioned, and that just wasn't flowing with Mitch Moses and Jack White running the show. just wasn't the same as it was in games one and two. Tom Draboyevich probably just wasn't getting the service he needed out wide to do what he did. Uh, in the first few games of the series. And I actually think percentage-wise, Latrell kicking the goal might have been the way to go, but he just fell short there. I think uh, they would have known what he was capable of from the training sessions. Yeah, I think he's, uh, in my opinion, got one of the, the three best kicking boots in the competition behind Adam Reynolds and Nathan Cleary. So uh, I think it was definitely worth a shot and uh, it would have been an awesome moment if it came off, but not to be. And congratulations to Queensland for uh, stealing one back there. Obviously not the se- uh, series they were hoping for, but... Uh, it's good to see when they were looking towards the future in that game three that they were able to uh, come up with the goods. Yeah, and I guess just on that point in time, and obviously we saw what a difference Kalen Ponga made to that Queensland side. He obviously missed the first two games because of injury, came back in, and you know obviously when Queensland have everyone playing in the positions that they're more noted for, it certainly made a big difference for them across the park, both in, in attack and in defence. Yeah, it did. And I thought Ponga was just electric on both sides of the field. He was roving around and uh, he was just really critical to giving the outside guys the time and space they needed. Obviously, uh, Ponga is exceptional at drawing those inside defenders in and uh, really just creating the numbers out wide. And I think we saw that with Miso Tabuai Fado uh, getting away for the first try, uh, for sorry, for Queensland's first try. And then Ben Hunt getting through the middle off the back of some nice breaks out wide for the Queensland side. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we, we kind of knew the difference that Pong was going to make to that team because we saw the week prior the difference he made to Newcastle. Um, and I think he just kind of was a, a bit of a piece of the puzzle to make everybody else perform their jobs better as well, which we saw with the halves playing better. And, of course, Ben Hunt had an absolute blinder at hooker. So, um, yeah, I think he was excellent. He was quite integral to that um, Queensland win. But I think a lot of the reason for the win was also um, New South Wales just not being on their game. Yeah, it was certainly the finish that Queensland wanted and I guess gives them the momentum moving forward. So you know that, I mean, obviously, we see how early the Origin talk starts. So probably in the preseason, we'll start hearing start hearing and seeing some jibes knowing rugby league. But uh, there's been plenty of NRL action on, obviously, good action. I mean, some unexpected results, I guess, results we expected. Obviously, a lot of the top teams uh, won their respective fixtures in round 18 and in round 19 on Thursday night uh, up at Seabus Super Stadium, we get started with the Parramatta Eels and the Canberra Raiders. And I guess on paper, you, you know, given the injuries that Canberra have, obviously 
Xavier Savage, who pretty much won the game for the Raiders against the Sharks last week, out for the year with a shoulder injury. Jack Whiten is out with a rib injury. And I guess for the Eels, the two big talking points, we have Will Penasini making his debut at centre, and Mitchell Moses is out after he suffered a fracture to his back in Origin 3. Apparently he played for 70 minutes in that Origin game with a fractured back, and he has what is called a spinous or transverse process fracture, which is more of a pain management issue. Apparently, I mean, I'm reading a tweet from NRL Physio, so that's apparently three to five weeks. So Jake Arthur will keep his spot in the side at half. And, I mean, I guess even with Moses out as an Eels fan, I'd certainly still like to think that they're going to be too strong for what is a, a better Canberra side than they were, say, four to six weeks ago, but severely weakened now with these further injuries. Yeah, I think, um, obviously, um, Parramatta were very impressive last week and they didn't seem particularly bothered by the um, absence of Moses. And I would argue, you know, whilst Moses is the half and he's an excellent player, I, I almost would say the most influential player for Parramatta is Rivani. Um, and we've noticed that pretty much every game he's played this year, they've looked a lot better than the ones he's been missing in. So um, I think him being back um, will really boost the Parramatta Eels like it did last week. Um, I think they should win comfortably. I feel a bit sorry for the Raiders because they, you know, they've just kind of gotten on a bit of a roll with two good wins, um, one against Manly and then one like last week as well. And it's quite, it's terrible about Xavier Savage because he had such a great game last week and I just want to keep watching him play. So it's such a shame that he's um, re-injured that shoulder that, you know, hopefully um, he's back raring to go next year. But yeah, I think this is a clear, probably a clear win for Parramatta. Yeah, I have to agree with that, Nat, especially with the losses of White and uh, and Xavier Savage there, he was exceptional last week. Savage at the back. For me, the staff for Parramatta last week, alongside Reed Marnie and Clint Gustin, was Ryan Madison. It was probably his strongest game of the season, in my opinion. Uh, he went over for a try there, and uh, he also had a number of really key defensive plays. which was really troubling the defence on Friday night, and I uh, thought that his form, if they can carry that through the next couple of weeks, is just going to provide them with so much more strike out wide and really create that extra, extra space for the outside men for Parramatta. Interested to see what you think, Ricky, about Will Penasini. I know we've spoken about him a couple of times in the past on the podcast. What are your thoughts on him coming for his debut? Oh, look, I think he, he was always first cab off the rank. I mean, he's playing. I think uh, Tom Upacek has obviously had a chat with Brad Arthur, and we know that a couple of weeks ago he lost his brother to that that um, motorcycle accident or car and motorcycle accident up in Queensland. And I think even, even though Tom Upacek is the sort of player that would – that would tell BA or Brad Arthur, no, look, I want to play. I think, you know, given that the Eels are in the position that they're in and they are playing a week in Canberra side, it's probably a, a good week to be debuting Penasinium, and I certainly wouldn't expect to be seeing him, you know, play against, you know, the Roosters, Panthers, Bunnies, Storm, you name it, obviously, with that tough run home. But, yeah, look, Penasini is a, you know, local junior, certainly has made his mark in the... In the junior junior reps, Harold Matz, SG Ball, from from all reports, has been playing well in the knock-on effect cup as well. Certainly has been a, I guess, a staple, you know, figure for that for that team. Inconsistent as as a as a team across the board, the Eels reserve grade side, but I think for the most part, Penasini has certainly proven his worth. And I think what's going to help the Eels, particularly, I guess, maybe in a spot where Hayes Dunster, who's been dropped for Ferguson, of course. Isn't as good, but Penasini is the sort of guy that does like to ruck it up from from the backfield. Obviously, take the, take some pressure off the forwards. So, be interesting to see how he slots in. But as I said, I think 
if you're going to do it for any, any game, this is probably the game to be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a really critical game for the Eels moving forward. Obviously, I think most of us see Parramatta as a bona fide top four side, but looking forward at the run that they've got coming home, you mentioned that they're Ricky after the Raiders this week. They've got the Roosters, Rabbitohs and Manly over the next three weeks and then the Storm and Penrith uh, in the last two rounds of the season. So wow. uh, probably not going to be too many more wins uh, on the run home that you would expect for Parramatta. Obviously, they're going to challenge a couple of those top sides, but uh, it's going to be really interesting with team like uh, Manly and the Roosters really nipping at their heels for that top four spot. I think you definitely want the Eels to hold on uh, to that fourth position. I back them. I dare. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, look, I, I mean, all, all things considered, I think, you know, the... I almost think that compared to last, or, you know, even, what, 2020 and 2019, you got the feeling that the Eels picked too early. And then obviously when it came to those games against Melbourne in successive years, I guess for lack of a better word, they almost, they, 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 they sort of choked. I mean, particularly mm. that game where they were up at halftime against the Storm, absolutely had them on the ropes, fell apart in the second half. But I think this year they've kind of, you know, been slowly building, had a good start had that that loss of the Dragons, sort of took a little while to find their feet again. But, you know, obviously through, throughout that origin period, Mitchell Moses was firing. Obviously Dylan Brown has come back firing. So the optimist in me says that certainly we can, you know, maybe nab anywhere from two to three wins during that period. And I guess that's probably all you need to to finish in the top four. I mean, the, the good thing is the Eels can't drop out of the eight. The worst they can finish... The worst they can finish is eighth, mm. but I think yeah, you, you can if, if you can nab two or three wins in, in in that last five weeks, they probably just hold on to on to fourth spot. I think what you're saying with Parramatta this year is they've really brought their their best games against Melbourne and Penrith, and they beat Melbourne and um, they you know almost beat Penrith, but they don't seem to bring that same intensity against the other um, teams, I guess, on the tier below. You might say, being they've lost to South and Manly. So I think the challenge for them is to bring that intensity they, they bring to the top two teams to all of those games, and they might see a few wins from them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Friday night sees us move over to the Sunshine Coast for the Roosters and the Knights clash. And again, I guess another interesting one, obviously, James Tedesco comes back uh, for the Roosters. The Knights also welcome back Daniel Saifidi, who is a big addition uh, to their front row. And, I guess it, it, the Roosters of late probably haven't been at their best, so I guess it's it's difficult to gauge, you know, how they're going to go. And obviously, we know that the Knights need to really start racking up the victories if they're going to finish in one of those, you know, either in that seventh or eighth position. So with Kalen Ponga back, do the Knights have any chance of causing a, a minor upset in this one? I think it's an extremely winnable game for Newcastle. Um. They were very disappointing last week against Melbourne, but who hasn't been lately? Um, it seems like Melbourne just have that magic touch at the moment where um, they just hammer everybody. Um, but they were very good the week before that. And I think the Roosters, um, you know, in the entirety of their game, they weren't controlling that full game. Um, there was a few momentum swings that could have gone either way, which may have led to a different result. So I think it's a winnable game for Newcastle. Do I think they will win it? Probably not, but I think it's within their reach. So um, it'll be very interesting to see that battle of the fullback. Him against Tedesco is going to be a very exciting matchup to watch, so I hope he does play. Yeah, sure is. I'm really keen to see James Tedesco back in that Roosters lineup. I probably think the Roosters just have too much strength in this one uh, within their back five. I just think 
some of the matchups there are really skewed towards the Roosters. You've got Dan Tupo, plenty of experience there up against Dom Young. He's got plenty of promise, but he's got a uh, really tough task this week. Equally, you've got Matt Ikebaru, who's been exceptional for the Roosters over the last couple of weeks there uh, on the right wing in the place of Brett Morris. He scored a double last weekend. He's uh, really been on fire, and he's going to be pushing to be the Roosters' top try scorer this year, uh, even without that, that massive start that Brett Morris had to the year. Sam Walker, I thought, was exceptional last weekend. He came out with one try, two try assists. Uh, he was kicking goals well was, uh, at the same time. And I really thought he was the key to that second-half surge from the Roosters where they just kicked away. And from there, the result was uh, was sealed for them. So I think that if he can have a good 80-minute effort this week, link up well with Joey Manu and James Tedesco, I just think there's going to be too much strength in that Roosters' back line, as well as the forwards, which we know are, are one of the top packs in the competition. Yeah, they've certainly got plenty of firepower across the park. And as you mentioned, that so do Melbourne. I mean, I think they're at, what, 10 or 11 games this year where they've scored more than 40 points, which is just almost unheard of when it comes to, to rugby league. And and I guess the unlucky team, if that's the right way to put it this week, is the North Queensland Cowboys, who have had their fair share of defensive issues as well. And obviously for Melbourne, the, the big talking point is Ryan Pappenhausen is back after what seemed like an eternity uh, on the sidelines with that concussion injury. And he's in the 17 jumper. I guess it remains to be seen where he plays. Does he go back to fullback and Hines goes into the halves? Will one of them go to lock? Who knows? But I guess if the Cowboys aren't careful, this could be another ugly scoreline. Yeah, I think there's only one way this is going to go, um, and it's not going to be very pretty for um, the Cowboys and, and their fans. Um, I just think like it's important to note as well, it, I think it's so good the way Melbourne have handled Pappenhausen's concussion injury. You know, in, in years gone by, we would see it, this not taken as seriously and the players be back the next week's. So I think it's a really good sign for the game in general that they're really taking it seriously. Um, but it's super exciting to see him back. As to where he slots in, it's hard. You know, what do you, who do you omit? Um, where do you place someone? Do you mess with a team that's been so successful? You know, obviously he deserves a spot. He's an incredible player. So it's interesting to see how Melbourne will handle that situation. Um, but yeah, as we said, they're just, they're untouchable at the moment. And I think it's going to be another huge scoreline for Melbourne this week. Yeah, obviously, I know both of your guys' teams are, going to be making a deep run into the finals, but I just can't see anyone touching this Storm lineup for the rest of the season, to be honest. I think it's just crazy that we're talking about a team here who they're missing their fullback, obviously coming back this week. They're missing their star hooker, Harry Grant, who really hasn't played a role at all this season. Uh, this week, they'll be missing Felice Kabusi in the second row. They're missing their origin star, Cam Munster, at 5'8", and we're still talking about them beating a team by 40, potentially 50 points this weekend. I think it's just insane the depth that this Melbourne side has built up. As for the role that Ryan Pappenhausen plays uh, this week, I think that we'll see him come off the bench, perhaps for a 30, 40-minute spell where we see Cooper Johns back onto the bench. Uh, he's the starting 5'8 this week, and I think we'll see Nico Hines sort into the sixth role. Obviously, that's what he's been touted for next year at Cronulla. So I think that's a real natural position for him, and I don't think too much changes in the way that uh, he's been playing an attack between fullback and 5'8". I think he can definitely play a role moving forward uh, as a bit of a utility floating round. I think that Nico definitely has a, a role to play uh, in this Melbourne side. I heard a couple of rumours uh, on social media throughout the week that perhaps we might see Nico Hines sort into a bit of a roaming centre role like we saw Tom Trebojevic play in Origin. Obviously, uh, that was all just talk on social media, but uh, it could have some potential moving forward. I'd really like to see Nico Hines uh, retain a spot in the starting side. I think he has a lot to offer. Uh, but if not, I think we'll just see him sort into that 14 jersey. We know that Craig Bellamy likes to play things pretty conservative, and I think that Nico Hines off the bench 
uh, just when your team needs a spark there in the second half, would be a pretty lethal play to bring on. Yeah, certainly would be. I mean, probably, I guess the guy that people had touted as the number one fullback in the game before that concussion injury that he sustained and, you know, to have him coming back at this point of the season, obviously, you know, leading to the final, that's only a boost for Melbourne. And equally, there's a boost for the Sassany Rabbitohs this weekend. Latron Mitchell comes back in a fullback after being, uh, I guess, rested after a, you know, grueling origin series and thought Blake Taff, did a pretty good job while he was there as well. Obviously, still young and raw, but certainly proved that he is the future. And I guess from a South's perspective, they weren't great against the Bulldogs by any means. I mean, I guess that's more of a testament to Canterbury that we'll touch on later. But you'd imagine if Souths want to be challenging the top sides, they need to be doing a lot better against that second tier sort of level that you mentioned, Nat, and... You know, unfortunately for Warriors fans, they probably fall in that category. No Tuivasa Shek, which is a big loss for them. No Tohu Harris, who is an equally big loss for them. That's, you know, pretty much their veteran, their most veteran back and their most veteran forward. So it, it's it's tough to see where the Warriors are going to be winning this one. Yeah, it was extremely disappointing to see that happen to the Warriors last week. You know, in the first half hour. Um, of our game, see them lose such key players um, to the point where their bench had one player on it who was injured. Um, and, you know, it's very disappointing because their effort wasn't wasn't wavering and they were looking really good before that. But, you know, it's going to be very hard for them to replace those key outs, you know, RTS, Toe, Harris, Wade, Egan. It's their important plays to them. As for South Sydney, you know, I haven't been overly impressed with them this year. I know they're getting those wins and you talk about ugly wins, but I think the majority of ugly wins you see are usually grinding, low-scoring affairs, yet they are usually, with, with South, it's usually triathlons. You know, they, they really need to fix up that leaky defence if they want to be taken seriously moving forward. Um, so this would be a good game for them to do exactly that, um, try and keep their defence as tight as they possibly can, keep the Warriors to one or two tries maximum um, because they really do need to start practising that sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what we've seen from South over the past couple of years, I know earlier in the show, Ricky, you mentioned the whole idea of timing your run throughout the season. I think the Souths have gone early as well over the last couple of seasons, and obviously they've made it to prelim finals, haven't been able to take that last step. But I think Wayne Bennett might be really priming them for a late run this season. Obviously, uh, they've had a bit pretty cruisy draw over the last couple of weeks. It gets significantly tougher uh, in the run home with a couple of these games, but a couple of really difficult ones as well. And I think that they'll be wanting to win a couple of those to really give themselves the, that boost into the finals. A really interesting one for Souths, I thought this week, was Tane Mill dropping back to the bench, obviously, uh, he's been playing a really great role for them this year since he came into that squad for Josh Mansour earlier in the year. He's got seven tries in six games and uh, had a hat-trick only two weeks ago. So to see him drop back to the 14 jersey was a little bit of a shock this week. So it'll be interesting to see whether they play him at all this week. Obviously, Benji Marshall is still coming back into that uh, setting up there in Queensland after uh, he was in Sydney for the birth of his child. And then across at the Warriors, as you mentioned, that's just uh, some devastating blows there. Obviously, two of us are Sheck and Toru Harris, but... Uh, one thing I am glad to see is that they've got Cody Nikarima back into that sixth role after starting last week off the bench. I didn't think that was the right move, and I think that was proven with the performance on the field. I think they were much stronger with him in there directing the play alongside Chad Townsend. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about the importance of uh, having an eyes up 5-8 and a, a real controlling half, and I think that's what Cody Nikarima provides alongside Chad T- Townsend, who's a great foil for him. They're going to be qu- feeding plenty of ball to Reese Walsh out the back uh, because the youngster, he's the real... Uh, key to getting any sort of attack generated this week without uh, two of us, Shek and Harris. 
Yeah, Reese Walsh has been a revelation. I mean, probably, I guess, one one of the numerous favourites for the Rookie of the Year, and it, if, if he gets it, it'd be deservedly so. But I think two guys for the Warriors that, you know, th- th- they've had their fair share of off-field, I- off-field issues, and, you know, it's obviously understandable that that's put a lot of people offside, but certainly from an on-field perspective, Adam Fenor Blake and Matt Lodge, obviously, you know, Matt Lodge has been, only been at the Warriors a couple of weeks now, but, I mean, and obviously you, you would have seen the game, Nat, so you, you would have, uh, mm. you know, obviously been able to, I guess, really gauge how well they, they had gone. But, the mod, I mean, the, really the only way I can describe their efforts against the Panthers were, were Herculean. I mean, mm. you know, the, it was literally, as you said, you know, that they had one player on the bench, he was injured, mm. you know, and so typically props that are probably only, you know, 50, 60 minutes tops. I think Matt Lodge played 80 minutes and, you know, it, I mean, it, it was it was good to see from a player that, you know, does have that checkered past and, mm. you know, a lot has been said about his character, but certainly on the field in what was a, a I guess, testing circumstances for the Warriors, he and Fanor Blake stepped up tremendously. They did. It was just crazy to see their props, you know, um, playing such big metres. And the thing is as well, they didn't really look like slowing down throughout the game. I kind of in my head expected for them to really, really get tired and just kind of let tries in at nauseam. And there were, of course, a few tries scored in the end there, but they were still making their metres and they were still giving their all every single carry. So I think if I was a Warriors fan, I would just take so much out of that performance in that they didn't, you know, I was was saying to my sister after the game, we've seen teams this year with full squads, no injuries, give up halfway and have a score of 50 run up against them. The fact that they didn't do that when they had every excuse to was really good for them. So if I was a Warriors fan, I would take a lot out of that game. Yeah, 100%. Now we're going to look at the stats there from Fanua Blake. 27 runs, 257 metres, and 30-plus uh, tackles as well. Outstanding. Yeah, they certainly did, did themselves proud, that's for sure. And 5.30 on Saturday, Tom, your your Tigers up against the Manly Seagulls. Obviously, the Trebojevic brothers are back from Manly. So is Daddy Cherry Evans. But... I guess it must be said, Tom, against uh, last week against the Broncos, th- there were some good signs. And I think certainly for the Tigers, it, you know, I guess I'll not prove everyone wrong, but that decision to move Adam Dewey to the centres and now back to 5-8, I think it has to be as clear as day. 5-8 is where Adam Dewey belongs. 100%. What an awesome game from Abs mm. on the weekend. Five try assists, uh, kick and goal sweet as well. Uh, he's had plenty of line breaks this season on that edge, just breaking through, running close to the line. I remember uh, he scored one on Easter Monday against the Eels, just a very similar play on that right edge. Winks well with David Nofaluma on the outside, and uh, whoever you put inside Nofaluma, you've got Tommy Tolau in there. They've got a good combination that they've been building over the last couple of seasons. Obviously, uh, Junior Pauger and Ken Mamalo linked up for a try on the other edge as well. Thought it was a really good effort from Mamalo after a bit of a sloppy first half. He had a couple of errors and uh, thought he bounced back really well in the second half with that nice uh, effort and the nice aerial effort to set up the power try and then uh, 180 run metres for the game as well. So plenty of strong runs out of his own end just to ruck it out, which was really promising. That's what uh, we were hoping to see from Kim Amalo alongside David Nofaluma. It's a really strong back two and three. For mine, it's just come, going to come down to that defence this week. Can't be conceding 24 uh, against Brisbane, let alone Manly, who uh, I've already put 50 on us or close to 50 on us this season. On Anzac Day, that was a real rough game for the Tigers. Uh, in defence, and for mine, it's just going to come down to those edge combinations. I know a lot of pressure often gets heaped on guys like David Nofaluma, uh, Kenny Mamalo on the other edge, but it's really about those inside guys not racing up, making the right decisions, and you know part of that's going to come with time. But 
uh, we don't have a lot of it before Saturday night, and, and there's no bigger test in the league at the moment than uh, this Manly side with Tom Trebojevic. A little positive that we have troubled them in the past. Uh, I think we've beaten Manly once each season for the last couple of years, so uh, fingers crossed the Tigers can get it done again. Good record in Queensland, but yeah, one hell of a test this weekend. Yeah, I thought um, Adam Deweish was the type of player that, you know, I think anybody, any team he would go to, you'd be happy to get him because, you know, the effort that guy puts in every single week is just incredible. And, you know, he's been moved around a fair bit this year and you never hear him complaining. He just does the job and puts in his all every single week. So I think it was awesome to see that pay off for him. He had such a good game on the weekend. And, yeah, as much as it was a triathlon, which I think we all expected, it was still a really good performance from the Tigers, especially in that second half to kind of put the pedal to the metal and really put the pressure on. So I think, you know, Manly weren't incredibly impressive last week, even though they ended up putting a little bit of a score on Dragons. You know, I still think there's room for improvement, which, of course, they will necessarily find when they have um, the Travoyevich brothers back. Um, but, you know, it's it's not a total um, unlosable game, uh, unwinnable game for the Tigers. So I think it'll be an interesting contest. Yeah, and you have a look at the run home for the Tigers as well. It gets significantly easier after this week. I think they've got four very winnable games. And Tigers have had trouble in the past in putting wins back to back to back. And, uh, any win that they can get, either this week uh, or potentially way down the track in round 23 against your Panthers, Nat, uh, <laughs> potentially there might be some restings, fingers crossed, late in the season. But um, yeah, yeah, any wins that they can get in those two games are going to be really positive moving forward, uh, especially with the inconsistency that the Tigers have shown throughout the year. Yeah, it should be good. And obviously we know that the Tigers can attack. But as you said, Tom, that defence has always been a concern. And obviously against Manly, it's going to have to be pretty tight or at least certainly better than it has been in I guess over the course of the year and another side who certainly aren't, aren't shy of scoring points as well as another side who aren't shy to leak points on occasion but they did look good in patches against the Tigers obviously Penrith and Brisbane play each other to round out the Saturday games and I guess Nat you must be pretty pleased that Jerome Luai is named to, to make his return. Yeah, I am. I'm definitely pleased. But I have to say, you know, last week was probably the first week I wasn't having a heart attack watching the Hearts play with Penrith since the uh, Nathan and Jerome's been, been out. I thought Tyrone May was actually very good on the weekend. And um, I'm pretty much always impressed with Matt Burton as well. But in any event, I think Luai just helps us link. We saw it in Origin as well. I think um, everyone kind of got a taste of how Panthers fans feel when those two are out because it impacts your entire team in such a major way, especially the backs. So I'm very, very excited to have Jerome back and to try and get some good ball out to our backs and, and make them as effective as they can be. Um, but, you know, all in all, I'm pretty pleased with the run that we had with, with him missing. Um, yeah, I don't see – we kind of always have a bit of trouble against Brisbane, strangely enough. You know, I think they were one of our toughest games all year was against Brisbane earlier this year. We almost lost. So I'm not ridiculously confident going into it, but you would think we should get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. I have to agree with that. I think there's just too much strength in this forward pack. Obviously, we saw Payne Haas up against the Tigers have a great game. So that, that try just before half time, but he just couldn't do it on his own. Obviously, they had the loss of TC Rabadi early to uh, that little knock that he got to his leg. And then Jordan Ricky came on and had a good impact and grabbed a try himself and a try assist. But uh, unfortunately, there just wasn't enough support for those two guys through the middle of the field. We know what a strong pack this Panthers side has, uh, relatively unaffected still uh, late into the season, which is good to see. Uh, for Panthers fans, and uh, I think that this is one that they'll be really looking to rack up a bit of a score this weekend. We saw that the Tigers were able to really turn it on against uh, Brisbane's left-edge defence. It was absolutely woeful there. We saw an loom across. Uh, Tommy Talau got a double as well, so I think we're going to see uh, mass tries down that, that right edge. I think it could be a big afternoon out for Charlie Staines. 
I hope so. We need to try and catch up to Melbourne in some way, shape or form in Tom's terms of their for and against. So I hope we get some points on the board. Yeah, you'd certainly expect it. I mean, I think as you said, Tom, I mean, certainly the Achilles heel for Brisbane all year. I mean, even last year when they got the spoon was as an outsider, you watch Brisbane play. I mean, you can't fathom how there's only one player, that's Payne Haas, who constantly every every week whether he plays 80 minutes or 40 minutes 60 minutes whether he plays two minutes it's he's just all about effort I mean we mentioned a couple of weeks ago with that that play against the against the Sharks in the 80th minute you know you just, just it's just as one percenters that he does and yet there's very few current Broncos players that are able to also do those one percenters and at the end of the day that's what's costing them the games just that lack of overall effort yeah, definitely. And we've seen glimpses this year, you know, um, of them look really good. So I think that the potential is there. And hopefully next year when they get a few more experienced players in, maybe senior players in the form of Adam Reynolds and Kate, Kurt Capewell, um, we might see that kind of turn around a little bit. But this year looks a little bit like a bit of a write-off for Brisbane. Well, Sunday certainly presents us with an interesting opening clash. That's the St. George Illawarra Dragons and the Gold Coast Titans. I guess not too much to talk about on the Titans end, obviously. They weren't great against the Eels, but at the same time, I don't think that they were terrible. I think, you know, the particularly their forwards, I thought, didn't do too bad. I mean, we've spoken a lot, Tom, about uh, Mo Fodawaka, David Fafita, sort of the impact that, that these guys have had consistently for the Titans this year. And, I mean, this Dragon side at the moment is... I mean, it, it, it's just hard to say what it is or what it isn't. I mean, obviously... You know, they've got players coming in and out because of the, the, the suspensions for that, that COVID breach. They probably have, I guess, the probably the most positional changes I've ever seen for a side in any team list ever. I mean, this is like 12 changes or something across the board, whether it be players coming in or positionally. And, I mean, that level of change to a side has to, I guess, impact the way that they're going to play or their approach. And it just makes you think, is the cohesiveness there to be able to deal with with a with a Titans side who again like the Knights, they need to start getting these wins if they're going to be pushing for one of those final spots in the eight. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most frustrating part for Dragons fans out there is they were in a really good position. Um, they were hugely improved sides what they were last year, probably the most improved side in the competition, and then they blew their good standing to be able to get one of those eight spots. By, by doing this COVID breach. And now there's just so much disruption in that team. It's hard to see how they're going to snag a win at all um, when you change it, your team is changing so substantially week to week. Um, so, yeah, it's just um, one of these, game, these games you don't see going the Dragons' way. And, you know, it's their own fault in a way as well. Um, yeah, Titans, obviously, they started not too bad last week. And um, they've, got, they've had, again, flashes of brilliance this year. They certainly can put on points. But, again, it's their defence which needs major work and the dragons can actually put on points themselves um so look it's it'd be an interesting matchup um you'd, you'd probably say titans would win purely for the fact that there is so much disruption in that dragons team but it, it really could go either way yeah absolutely i think the tigers uh, sorry yeah absolutely i think the titans are one of the most volatile teams in the competition in terms of their performance swings they just go from one end to the other one week they're coming out and putting up 40 points against the side the next they're coming out and almost getting rolled to zero and uh, they just need to find some consistency in their performances and it's got to come through their forward pack. Uh, David Fafita is far too hit and miss at the moment. Tino Fasu Malawi, likewise, hasn't really been getting the involvement that 
probably Titans fans were hoping when he moved to the club at the start of the season from Melbourne. Uh, he had a great start to the year, but he's fallen off a little bit now, and it's time to really pick up in this charge towards the finals. I see the Dragons uh, undoubtedly dropping out of this top eight. I think the Titans are one of the main contenders to replace them. For me, I'm really excited to see Greg Marzu back in the side. I thought he had a great start to his NRL career earlier in the earlier in the year. He was racking up plenty of metres. Um, he's an absolute beast of a, a player. If you can get his defence right, I think that he's a real weapon moving forward for this Titans side that they can keep in there, even once Phil Sami returns from injury. And then, obviously, the other one is Toby Sexton. How's he going to go in his first game in the halfback role in the, uh, replacing Jamal Fogarty? So uh, plenty of changes for both sides. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. But for me, I'm on the Titans here. Yeah, I mean, it's all the upheaval the Dragons have gone through. It's hard to see them get the win. But I think to your point on a guy like David Fafita, Tom, I think the I think what the Titans are guilty of sometimes, which obviously Fafita's had some, I mean, obviously the big criticism of Fafita has been, I guess, when he hasn't been able to get the best of his, op- of, of his opposite number or opposite centre, that he can go missing mm. and that he can play poorly. But I think what doesn't help the Titans sometimes is, a lot of their attack, for some reason, tends to go down the right-hand edge through Kevin Proctor, who I guess is probably not the the gun back role that he may may have been, once been, particularly during the back end back end of his Storm days. And I think as a result, you sort of see David Fafita trying too hard when he gets the ball. I think if you just let him play his game, get him the early ball. Nine times out of ten, he's going to make at least one or two tackle busts. I mean, he's just that dynamic. But I think if 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 you're the Titans and you're relying on him to be the guy to chase it to chase the game for you, rather mm-hmm. than letting him dictate the terms, I think that's where we see the hit and miss. And obviously, I don't know if that's a game plan from the Titans to you know go right more often than not. But I think if if they can get the dynamic right, then certainly for feeder can can become that consistent back row that so many of us believe he can be. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think he's, you know, on a whole, he's probably been disappointing for the Titans this year. Um, but you're right, you know, I think that his role might need to change a little bit in the team um, and then maybe we'll be able to see him be reach up to his potential. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we saw that towards the end of that Eels game last week, Ricky. I thought that uh, the Titans started to put on a little bit of a run there. Obviously, they just didn't have enough time and the Eels had too many points earlier on in the game, but I thought they were really impressive for a 10 or 15-minute stretch there, put on two or three un, uh, uh, unanswered tries. And, yeah, I think that if they can get it clicking for a full 80 minutes, they're going to be a dangerous side moving forward and a team that you really don't want to come up against in uh, week one of the finals. Yeah, certainly not. And I guess the final game of the round, obviously, it's only one team that is still in the finals hunt here. We know that the Canterbury Bulldogs are either going to finish 15th or 16th, I mean, just based on you know, the position and the personnel at their disposal. But as we said earlier, obviously, that was quite a spirited effort against the Rabbitohs. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a credit to the Bulldogs, that despite, I guess, their own upheaval across the year, you know, injuries, players coming in and out, you know, just, I guess, not having that quality there. You certainly can't deny that this team has heart and desire to, I guess, remain in contest for as long as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they were very good as well against the Roosters the week prior. So they've actually had two good wins in a row. Um, Sorry, two good efforts in a row. Um, And, you know, yeah, they're definitely a team. You know, you do see teams give up sometimes and kind of throw the towel in. But they've only done that a few times this year. Most of the time they really do put in the whole game. So, you know, if I'm a Bulldogs fan, I'm thinking, 
him as positive signs moving forward. Obviously, the Lachlan Lewis incident was um, insane, purely insane. So um, they probably want to um, rub that type of thing out of the game. But you know, um, I'd be I'd be feeling positive if I was a Bulldogs fan for next year. Yeah, and on the flip side of the coin, I think you'd be really disappointed with the Sharks' performance last week. Uh, if you're a fan down there in the Shire, obviously Jesse Ramian had a strong game. He nabbed himself a try. He's been in some really great form of late uh, in the second half of the season. But apart from that, there wasn't a lot of positives to take out of that game from a Cronulla standpoint. They obviously came in, sorry, they obviously came into that game as favourites and uh, left really on the wrong end of a really good performance from Xavier Savage, uh, who really just tore him apart. And the defence wasn't good enough from a guy like Sean Johnson, an experienced mm. leader of that side. Uh, he had too many missed tackles there, and you compare his performance to some of the other halves around uh, the league last weekend, and yeah, it really didn't stack up and worrying signs for Warriors fans moving forward watching that. For the Bulldogs, I thought Bailey Beyonde Odo was really good off the bench. I thought that he brought some nice little spark. We were a bit reminiscent of Damian Cook up against the Rabbitohs there. Uh, he was really strong in attack, uh, pretty nippy sort of hooker off the bench. I'd like to see him hold his role moving forward. And Jen Ockenball was also strong in his uh, return to the starting squad. Obviously, had a little bit of a shaky start to the game, but uh, came home strong with a try. Yeah, it looks good. I mean, Ockenball certainly always had the wraps on him. And, you know, I think he's 196, 196 centimetres, 108 kilos. So he's certain, certainly not a small guy. But, yeah, just on that Lachlan Lewis point, Nat, I mean, I think I mean, it, it's – we've seen a lot in rugby league. I mean, you know, as fans, like we've seen pretty much anything and everything. But we, I, I mean, I'd, I'd never seen that before. And apparently all over Cody Walker saying – you belong in reserve grade, mate. I mean, oh, that's... it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, the first thing I thought was, oh, my gosh, is something about his family. Like, what could possess someone to do that? But it seems to me it may have been a bit of an ego thing in the end. And um, definitely a brain snap because they lost by eight points. And those eight points were scored while he was off the field. And they were definitely looking really good before that. So, you know, I think as a young player, he hopefully should have learned his lesson from, from that kind of thing. So I don't think his teammates would have taken too kindly with it. Um, and, yeah, with any, and it was hilarious and entertaining to watch, but I do hope for everybody else's sake that we don't see that happening again. Yes, yeah, certainly one of the more bizarre moments we've seen in uh, 2021. And obviously, you know, we've seen COVID, obviously, you know, COVID-affected seasons, and now we've seen a a, uh, a body slam to the ground. So, you know, rugby league certainly has it all. And I guess, as always, there's plenty of news to talk about. And obviously, a guy that we just mentioned Jaden Ockenbaugh has signed for another couple of seasons at the Bulldogs. I guess the question remains, will he be a starting winger for the team in 2022? Obviously, Adokar is coming to the club. Their recruitment's not finished. But I guess at the very least, even if he's a depth winger, you know that you've got someone at, like someone of his ability at your disposal should you need him. Yeah, I think he's a quite a good signing for them. I've seen a few Bulldogs fans not be too happy with it, but I actually think he's quite a good signing. He's handy to have there. Um, and, yeah, depth is key. Even if he doesn't start every week, um, it's it's good to have players like that in your top 30. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good signing for them. And I guess maybe one from left field that, you know, certainly I can't recall seeing too much chatter about it in the media, but Jaden Sua is headed to the Dragons in 2022. And we've spoken about it even at the start of this year, Tom, the fact that the Dragons, outside of Tarek Sims, haven't really had a specialist back rower just you know I mean they're playing Josh Kerr who's a prop there for the most for for most of this year and Jack Bird filling in as well but they've got certainly got their specialist back rower now and I guess although his form at the Bunnies has been a bit inconsistent we certainly know what he's capable of and 
that's, that's in the end is a pretty good signing for the Dragons, seeing as their fans have been crying out for something like this for a while. I definitely, you know, I think it's a good signing for them and it's probably something that Dragons needed after quite a disappointing few weeks. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, obviously he's, he's not having, he's not setting the world on fire itself, but he's definitely not a liability in any sense either. So I think, um, yeah, he um, is a really good signing for them and, you know, he probably will have a rejuvenated sense as well going to, to a new club. So I think we'll probably see him um, perform to his best next year and I'm looking forward to seeing him in new colours. Yeah, absolutely. I have to agree with that. I think that, uh, he's a real solid signing. I don't think he's going to set the world on fire or anything at uh, St. George, especially running off uh, probably not the greatest back one in the competition at the moment, especially considering how weak they've been over the last couple of weeks. You haven't seen a lot of fire from this St. George lineup, but uh, I think they're moving forward to next season. He's a real, he's really a guy that they can build their forward pack around. As you mentioned there, Ricky, I think that it enables Josh Kerr to swap back uh, into the forward pack, or if you've got Jack Bird back into the centres, uh, and alongside Tarek Sims, he provides a really good representative caliber uh, second row pairing. Yeah, certainly a nice signing for them. And Anthony Milford is certainly, obviously, we know he's not going to be at the Broncos next year. Apparently, there are now these three mystery new clubs that have always been chasing him but have not been mentioned. And obviously, the Eels are the only team that have really been mentioned for his name, but only for the rest of this year. But so, yeah, so the last great year for Anthony Milford was twenty was arguably 2015 when, you know, many thought that he should have won the Clive Churchill medal and he probably would have if the Broncos uh, had won the grand final that year. But since then, it's been a bit of a downward spiral. But he's talented. I guess he's still young in terms of rugby league age. Where, where can he fit? Is, I mean, is there any team that you think could use him at the moment, even if it's as a 14 and not necessarily as a starter? I have to say, I don't want to be harsh, but he's not a player that I would be excited about signing. Um, you know, he's just struggled to have any consistency, what, for the past maybe five or so years. And, um, yeah, I think while he has glimpses sometimes, it's just you never know what you're going to get. And, you know, I, I think in particular, if he's going to have a, a position like half at a club, you just can't really carry someone like that at your club. So you'd probably be looking at um, a 14-like role. Um Ricky, what do you think about him potentially seeing the season out at Parramatta? Look, you know what? I I wouldn't. I know a lot of Eels fans are against it, and you know, as as you said, as we've all said, certainly since 2015 it has not been great. Or sorry, since 2016 it hasn't been great. But I think given given that the Eels, the the only reason why the interest has come about is Jordan Rankin who is in the Eels top 30 has not travelled to Queensland, and I guess for the foreseeable future it looks like we're going to be playing games in Queensland. So that's how all the links have come about. But I mean, I, I wouldn't mind it too much. I mean, I think he's certainly in terms of ability, he's at a higher level than someone like Will Smith, who they're both very similar players in that, in the, in the positions that they can cover. I wouldn't be against it, but if he was to end up at the Eels, I think what would suit him is probably you get him to play either, maybe the back end of the first start of the second half, you know, when you got those tied forwards through the middle, obviously his running game is his strongest asset or, you know, realistically, and as harsh as this may sound as well, probably, I guess in, in those, that last 15 to 20 minutes, it's often called, you know, the junk period where if the Eels are up by 20 or 24, you know, 20, 30 points, chuck him in, just say, mate, do what you do, run the ball, do your, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if it was to be, 
a starting role, I would say no. But as a 14, I think there's some merit there. And as I said, certainly his ability, his glimpses are there. So it's it's just a question of whether that eventuates or not. But yes, yeah, certainly I, I, I agree with you. I think if he's going to be playing anymore, has to be as a 14. Yeah, I don't mind it as a 14, to be honest. I think that he could definitely play a role. Talk about making comparisons there, Ricky. I remember us having a very similar conversation this, probably this time last year, around the rumour of Bryce Cartwright signing with the Eels. And we said it's got to be the right role, potentially a 14. Uh, He's got to be in the right environment, right headspace. I think the move away from Brisbane would be extremely beneficial from Anthony Milford. Gets to play alongside alongside some really established halves in Moses and Brown. I think we've got to remember that really the last established half that Anthony Milford played next to was Ben Hunt back in 2015 when he did have that great run. After that, he's had Cody Nicarima and out of form Brody Croft as he's moved up there, Tom Dearden. Uh, he really hasn't been able to establish himself. I think it's a little bit of a shame that we're not going to get the chance to see him potentially with Adam Reynolds next year. I thought maybe that could have sparked him into a little bit of form, but obviously I know Brisbane fans are probably fed up with his performances, but I think there's definitely still some value uh, for the MILF at an NRL club in a 14 role. And yeah, he provides some great depth as well. So who knows, might be one to monitor moving forward. No, I'm, I remember those comparisons and chats we're having as well, Tom, about Bryce Cartwright. And yeah, look, I, I think it's a similar mould. I mean, I don't think I don't think too many Eels fans or even fans in general were thinking that Cartwright was going to mm. be a, or he just hasn't been a, like a, a, you know, a world beater, but certainly. But he's, he's, he's done yeah. his job, 100. percent You know, yeah. and I think, I think, probably what helped and what may help Milford as well is, I think Brad Arthur is certainly a coach that, you know, he he has a good track record in terms of, you know, troubled plays in the past. I mean, you only have to look at guys, even going further back like Manu Mau and Danny Wicks. Obviously, you know, Mau was was in prison as a, as a young guy. Danny Wicks had that suspension for. Um, not drug possession for drug distribution or whatever it was. And, you know, they came in, they did their job. Obviously, Bryce Cartwright, in a different sense, completely out of form at the Titans, has come in, done a role. So, I mean, look, I guess there's the track record is there to suggest he could do the same with Milford. Remains to be seen if any sort of deal eventuates. But, yeah, as you, as you said, Tom, as you said, Nat, the 14 role would be a perfect one for him. 100%. Definitely. Well, the Knights have been busy with their re-signings as well. Uh, Heimel Hunt and the Saifidi brothers have signed on. And, you know, I guess certainly they're three players that have, have made their mark in inconsistent periods for the Knights. But certainly, I guess, in a team that is not in a rebuild, but certainly wanting to retain as much of their side as possible and probably avoid some of that upheaval that other sides have been going through. You know, having three guys like that on board for at least another few seasons only helps their cause. Yeah, I think so. I think it's really positive for them. I think they're fan favourites as well for Newcastle, so their fans are going to love it. But, yeah, I think if the Newcastle Knights can get some stability around that team and keep them fit, then they can finally start building towards this potential that we've been seeing in them for years. So I think it's pretty key for them to re-sign them, um, keep that strong forward pack. Um, so the halves hopefully can stay fit and we can see some better things from Newcastle than we've seen in the past few, few years. Yeah, 100%. Plenty of promise in Newcastle, but they've just been failing to deliver over those last couple of seasons, as you mentioned that, and I think that uh, the Saifidi brothers are really the foundation of that Ford pack. Uh, and then you've got some really great talent on the outside. You've got Mitch Barnett, Walkie Pitts given there, uh, Tyson Frizzell as well. So they've got all the pieces. 
it's just about bringing it all together now. Yeah, certainly is. And I guess a re-signing that Penrith had this week and that, that, you know, obviously we know he's the backup to Appy Corusau. I mean, it's been that way for the last couple of years, but Mitch Kenny will stick around for 2022 at least. Certainly yeah. not a bad backup to have given that. He's, he's looked pretty good in the games he's played in first grade. Yeah, he has. And, you know, I I think as I honestly wouldn't swap Appy for anyone. I think he's just irreplaceable. But I have noticed that, you know, when you look at, um, the difference that Luai and Cleary being gone made uh, makes their replacements just aren't up to it. And you can really tell, whereas Mitch has always kind of filled the void a little bit better in that it's not blatantly obvious that Arpy's not there. So I think it's a really good re-signing to have, really good to have. Um, and I actually really like him in the 14 role as well. I actually probably would prefer him there than Tyrone May. So, you know, if that ends up being something that Ivan liked to do, you know, in the past, I know when he was with Penrith the first time around, he definitely liked that two-pronged hooker system. So if he, you know, implements that, I wouldn't be surprised in the coming years with Mitch being there. Yeah, 100%. I think that perhaps uh, alludes to the fact that Tyron May may not be there uh, come next season or the year after. I think that he's probably on the outs. And I think that the re-signing of Mitch Kenny really confirms that he's uh, the man for that 14 role moving forward. Yeah, he's certainly done his chances, no harm, that's for sure. I guess we're going to end on a different note. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the Rugby League World Cup, which is going to be played in England. And, you know, it's certainly become a point of conjecture as to should it go ahead, should it be moved. You know, we, we've seen some news that certainly from an Australian perspective, from Peter Vlandes and the NRL, they wanted it moved to be played either next year or, you know, in six months' time, given... I guess the ongoing situ- you know, COVID pandemic across the world. But I guess the question I want to ask you guys is, if Peter Vlanis and the NRL say, right, Australia's not going to play at the World Cup, would you still go ahead with the World Cup later this year? Yeah, I probably wouldn't. I don't think that there's enough uh, players there and playing talent over in the UK to really put together a strong enough roster. I know uh, we see it in sports uh, like soccer. We look at the Olympics coming up this weekend and that a lot of the European clubs aren't releasing their players, but there's just that depth of talent uh, playing around the world that really enables that competition to continue. For me, rugby league just doesn't have enough. I saw a bit of a mock uh, team put together for what the Australian side could look like uh, if they were to just uh, pick players from the Super League. Look, there's some good players in there, don't get me wrong, but you, you're going to be taking out the majority of the talent for uh, Australia, if NRL clubs don't want to send their stars overseas and we're going to see a weekend New Zealand lineup, uh, a lot of the Pacific nations aren't going to be able to send mm-hmm. a really strong side. And I think once it gets to that stage, uh, it's just time to pull the pin or perhaps look at relocation of the of the uh, competition. Yeah, it feels almost selfish, in a, not selfish in a way, but, you know, it feels like, you know, we're expecting the whole um, competition to revolve around us, but in a major way it does. So I think, you know, in terms of them getting the most out of this World Cup, which only comes around, you know, it doesn't come around every year, um, I think it's probably in their best interest to to either move it or, or just postpone it. What do you think, Reggie? Yeah, look, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would love to see a World Cup still be played this year. I mean, I know, you know, this is obviously unprecedented times and, and you know, I, in a way I sort of understand what the Australian perspective is, obviously, you know, you've got to go over then you have to do your quarantine and, and you have to do that. But I think I think on the on the flip side, I mean I look at the at what the New Zealand Warriors have done for the better part of two years. I mean this is 
I mean, I, I know club and international are completely different entities, but you know, if if organisations, if clubs really want something to go ahead, if they're willing to, you know, talk with each other properly, you know, liaise properly about right, what what is the situation, what are the logistics, how can we do this, and, and you know, all, sort of all all of those conversations that need to be had, I don't see why they can't be some sort of, you know, sacrifice made from not only from Australia, but from, you know, from the Rugby League International Federation, all of it. So if Australia or I guess Peter Vlanis doesn't want to send Australian players to England, okay, but then that's when you go back to the drawing board and say, right, what's a solution that works? And then what's something that, because obviously if you move this to next year, they've you know, there's already talk of, of uh, other international tests being played in 2022. So mm-hmm. there's there's really not, I guess, a, a more feasible time to sort of have the World Cup. So it's almost at the point where you either have it or you don't have it at all. Yeah. And then obviously, b- because that's just such is the nature of the international schedule. So mm-hmm. I think to answer the question, I, I would like to see it go ahead, but I think compromise and sacrifice has to be made from all parties involved not just australia but also from you know the other teams from england and and from the rugby league international federation no very good points ricky for sure yeah and i think that as well we've got to consider the players in this would they be willing to go over uh, i think we'll see, we would see a lot of players sacrifice the opportunity to play for their country but man going over into the uk and having a uh, quarantine there and on the way back so uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens, but for mine, I think we might see either a delayed or a uh, cancelled World Cup this year. Yeah, certainly a big blow for the international game if it, if, if it does end up being cancelled or, or postponed. But it's rugby league for you. I mean, it would it would be the the cherry on top of the Sunday that it, that has been the last couple of years for rugby league. Mm-hmm, absolutely, can't catch a break. No, certainly can't. Well, that wraps it up for another week of Take the Two. Certainly. Plenty of interesting games to look forward to and everything is starting to heat up with that log jam for the last couple spots in the eight. So as always, we're back next week to dissect all of the action.